0: I do this for
1: my culture, 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 Good evening. I'm Anthony McCarthy. This is the second hour of For the Culture here on Public Radio WEAA 88.9 FM. Absolutely, the voice of the community. I'm sitting in for Faraji Muhammad, who is taking a well-deserved vacation. And we have a lot of wonderful shows planned for you coming up in the next few days. My next guest is one of my favorite Baltimoreans Ever. I've worked with him for many years. Dr. Marvin Doc Cheatham is a civil rights icon in the city of Baltimore. Well, he has done many things that he should be patted on the back for. But one of the things that he is doing most recently is a project with the folks over at the Skateboard Park in Hamden, which has been a huge success I'm telling you young people all kinds of people are over in Hamden riding skateboards well Doc Cheatham and Stephanie Murdoch who is with the Skate Park of Baltimore over in Hamden have decided we need to expand this skate skateboarding opportunity for young people in the city of Baltimore working with the Baltimore City Recreation and the Parks They have decided that they want to open a 9,000, get that, 9,000 square foot skate park over in Easterwood Park. I am so excited, and I know it's going to happen because Doc Cheatham is leading it. Marvin, Doc Cheatham, welcome to the program.
2: Andy, it is indeed a pleasure. It's always great to hear you. I miss working with you. And I will say, I think this may be my 15th anniversary oh, that I used to wow. do a radio show on WEAA.
1: <laughs> what? Uh, well, congratulations uh, on that, um, along with uh, just thank you for all of your work on behalf of the people of Baltimore. You have spent your life and hopefully you have much more life ahead of you. (laughs) But you you have spent your entire uh, professional life serving the people of Baltimore. Thank you.
2: Well, I I thank you so much. And uh, this may be a controversial subject, but maybe this will bring us back to where we need to be, at least the last 30 years that I can see. Our city council person's, our state senators and our delegates representing this Matthew Henson Eastwood area Mm -hmm. have failed to sufficiently deal with recreational needs of our community, but more especially our children. So, uh, Mm -hmm. the last few years that I've been neighborhood president, I've been president four different times. I've had two presidents pass away, uh, our community, Matthew Henson, has looked at how can we make a small difference in what's happening in our community to try to combat the problems that we are having citywide. I tell folks, you know, to put it in perspective, and I understand what Fells Point is going through. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, maybe we need to tell folks we're not going to pay any more taxes ever. When I look at the year 2020 last year, the number was 50. You're going to figure out what kind of numbers am I talking about. 2019, <laughs> the number was 59. 28, the number was 51. 2017, the number was 49. 2016, the number was 60. 2015, the number was 66. What am I talking about? Those are the number of homicides that happened in just the Western District. Oh, wow. That's the Western District. We've averaged more than 50 homicides. Some cities don't have that many. We haven't in the Western District. So what what we have seen is that a great neglect by our council people, our delegates and our senators if they have represented the Easterwood uh matthew henson area they have neglected us and what we decided to do let's look at some avenues where we can help our community so four years ago We built the Easterwood Sandtown Park and Playground on McKean, a a desolate area. It's called the McKean Miracle now because we turned a drug area into a park and playground. You sure did, yes. Uh, That was four years ago. Uh, I was crazy enough six years ago uh, to uh, run for a second office. I was uh, uh, elected to the Central Committee. I actually ran first that time, but I made the mistake in thinking I could do it again. Uh, (laughs) I ran fifth out of 10 People, so I didn't do too good. But while I was running, I was of course running in the 40th district, and the 40th district is real wide. It you know goes all the way up to Hamden, but then it goes all the way down to Picktown. So it's it's interesting. And I was up in in Hamden uh, campaigning, and I'm hearing children call me. I'm you know, said, "Wait, Marvin, you're not in.
1: Everybody knows not, you. <laughs>
2: you're not in Easterwood or, or Matthew Henson or Sandtown. You're in." And I look, and there were four kids uh, that live in my neighborhood. Wow. You know, many of the kids here know me because uh, I just love kids, you know. And I said, What y'all doing up here? We, they said, Doc, we're skateboarding. I said, you mean to tell me you skateboarded all the way from Easterwood to Hamden, which is about three and a half miles, and that's where they had to go to go skateboarding. And they said, well, uh, what you doing here? I said, I'm running for office. They said, well, you need to get elected so you can get us a skateboard park. <laughs> uh, I, I can't say I promised them I would do it, but I said if if I was fortunate enough to become an elected official, uh, that would be one of my initiatives. So, of course, uh, the Lord, knowing his, his infinite wisdom, uh, I did. Definitely did not win, uh, but the commitment was still there to still do something for the kids. And as a result of finding out who was the mother of skateboard in the Baltimore City area, uh, Stephanie, uh, I introduced myself thanks to Mary Pat introducing me to. To Stephanie, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I sat down, I guess, for about three years. You know, we were talking to Mr. Holtz from uh, that area. Uh, They were educating me on what needed to be done uh, to build a skateboard park. And uh, since that time, we have had a great uh, working relationship. Uh, community that is ninety nine percent white, which is Hamden, A community that is ninety nine percent black, which is Easterwood. And for the last four years, we have had meeting over meeting, uh, trying to pick out what would be a good place to do it. And uh, we're happy to say that the uh, the recreation and parks, through the great leadership of Mr. Moore, uh, understood our vision and our plan to bring. Say, something to uh, a predominantly black community. And uh, he basically, uh, two years ago, put in the first amount of money we needed, and this year put in the round of money we needed this year, uh, uh, totaling over a little over six hundred thousand dollars. That's a whole lot of money that's a for lot. skateboard. Uh, but uh, we're going to bring to fruition something I think that's going to uplift the community. I thought the park really uplifted us because uh, we have folks battling every day trying to get a contract just to use our park and playground. And it's just a little teeny park, but it's someplace the kids from Sandtown and Easterwood can go to that they don't have to go all the way up to Eastwood. So the the, uh, Skateboard park will be built. Uh, they may not start digging until uh, next year. We're hoping they start digging this year. Uh, <laughs> but the exciting thing is that uh, skateboarding becomes an Olympic event Wow! Uh, this year uh, at the Olympics. Uh, and I can say that uh, the uh, embassy from Japan has communicated with me because I told them we wanted to uh, have a big screen TV and let our kids see on July 24th when skateboarding uh, is introduced to the Olympics, we wanted to show uh, on NBC, pardon that name, uh, we wanted to show kids uh, actually skateboarding in the Olympics. And we're happy to say, really excited, that two of the kids that are in the Olympics skateboarding are African-American yes. kids. So,
1: Doc, I, I, I'm sure some of my listeners are, are shaking their, scratching their heads right now. They think about skateboarding, but they don't think about their brown and black kids skateboarding uh, make the connection for us uh why skateboarding and is it something you just mentioned the two olympic athletes um being african-american skateboarding is not something traditional for black kids
2: no i would say in the last i would say last seven to ten years uh it's grown a great deal of attention Uh, there are skateboard punks uh, all around uh, the world not only just America but they're beginning to increase and our kids uh, are finding ways to find out where these skateboards are and they're going as we found in in our category they're willing to uh, skateboard miles Mm -hmm. to go skateboarding. I say to folks and I say to our young folks if I look at the young lady right now uh, that is probably the greatest gymnast that has ever taking place, uh, they would say 20 years ago, oh, you're not going to have no black gymnast. Mm-hmm. And we can say today, she may be the greatest gymnast ever. I told folks uh, what I've learned about our people, uh, African-American people, uh, is that introduce us to whatever it is, and sooner or later, we will excel in it. And I say that's what's going to happen with skateboarding. Sooner or later, like gym- gymnasts, we're going to find our kids are going to be able to excel in it. We just need to introduce them to it and give them the opportunity to have fun like all other kids. And that's the main focus here is doing something for kids in a neighborhood that has been neglected by—and I hate to say this, so you might want to cut me off— but (laughs) have been represented by African Americans that are Democrats for at least the last 30 years, that I can Mm -hmm. count, by elected officials. And they have really failed to address the recreational needs of this community. Uh, We have have a a football track uh, that has a track around it. Well, the track can't be used uh, uh, professionally because it's an illegal track. It does not have the minimum six lanes. Uh, You know, we have a recreation center. The guys of Omega do a fantastic job uh, of covering for us when we did not have a recreation center. But this is one of the oldest, most ill-equipped recreation centers in the state of Maryland. Mm. And I'm saying when you look at all these uh, outlets that kids can use to get them off the street, not selling drugs or being uh, uh, squeegee boards or girls, is that there's no recreation here. So what few years we have left under my leadership— we will address some of the recreational needs of my community, and the skateboard park is uh, the latest one. And hopefully, uh, someone will hear me crying in the wilderness <laughs> that we need a state-of-the-art recreation center. There are other things that need to be done. We have on our, our, our agenda uh, trying to bring a job training rehabilitation center for those that dropped out of school, those that, that that went to jail, those that have an addiction. We need to put them in some kind of location and be able to train them to put them back out in the street and use the infrastructure of Baltimore to have them do work and basically repair the city. So there's a lot need to be done. My days are numbered, uh, I know a three score and ten. I've already hit that already. <laughs> I know that uh songs uh, one of the songs said uh three score and ten but if you take care of yourself you may have an additional ten years. So uh I'm pushing it now three score and ten but and I'm still appreciative of Folks wanting to know, as you did, uh, wanted to know what's happening with the skateboard. Mm-hmm. It is something that's going to happen. It is something that is coming to a neighborhood near you very soon. And uh, by the time July 24th comes, that's the first day of the Olympics. I tell folks uh, that's my celebration because that is my birthday. We're hoping to show. The Olympics skateboarding at, at our park and playground in the 1500 block of McKean, so kids can actually see what skateboarding is all about. And we can bring it to fruition. We raised some funds through Kwanzaa last year, and we're going to give some of the kids skateboards. You know, oh, they're wow. not to worry that they don't have them. We're going to give some of the skateboards away because we showed skateboarding to our kids last year. We had a little pump track up at Eastwood. These kids were so excited. The only thing he kept asking me, Doc is Doc Gina, you know, when are you gonna bring the skateboard here? <laughs> <laughs> so Doc, let so, me ask it's you exciting. It's let exciting. me
1: let me ask you and I hope someone is listening. I hope a lot of people are listening and they're thinking I need to help Doc and Stephanie make this happen. Uh, I know people who have money who don't always use it in the most wise ways, but this would be a great opportunity for people to give to our city, the young people of our city. But Doc, the, in my head, you know, I'm always thinking, <laughs>
2: what about
1: great. what about the liability issue? A skate park?
2: Here's something that will educate folks. You know, because I I spent the first four years not only learning what skateboard, uh, what the mechanics are, or how mm-hmm. you build a skateboard, but then I learned the the history of skateboarding. Skateboarding isn't as dangerous as most folks think it is. Oh, wow. Uh, Yes, at a very early age, when you are intermediate, just learning how to skateboard, yes, you definitely should wear a helmet, uh, arm pads, knee pads, and any, any kind of other pad. But believe it or not, skateboarding does not have major incidents. That you know, really? uh, you learn that people who skateboard will tell you, "Oh no, you shouldn't be doing that at this point. You have not learned the mechanics of doing the, the trick that you want to do." Uh, you know, it, it's very educational. You know that you've. And some older folks that skateboard, but it does not have the injuries that people think you have. You probably had more injuries, folks just riding a bike, than they do skateboarding.
1: Now, I know it would be a huge mistake for me to get on a skateboard. (laughs) Uh, Not only would it be laughable, but it would be very, very dangerous. Um, But there is an opportunity here. I loved what you said to the press, that this brings white kids and black kids together, white community, black community together. This really is an opportunity for us to heal some of those old wounds around skateboarding.
2: I, I think it's a win-win, Anthony. And you know, I've, I've served three organizations as their as their head, as their president here in Baltimore. And the issue was always how do we bring people with different backgrounds, different uh, histories together and. and issues that basically can positively affect all of us. And this was definitely one that Stephanie and I talked about and some of the members of our board, that this is one vehicle that we can actually bring folks of different walks folks with different ethnicities together and they can do something enjoyable together mm-hmm. uh, when you come to a skateboard park these kids black and white young and old are enjoying themselves they really are enjoying and you don't have to have five players to do it uh, you know you don't have to have a uh, football equipment to do it yes you should at a very early age use the uh, the safety equipment that is used mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't cost a lot uh, mm-hmm. I had three skateboards, and uh, because of the stroke that I had, I don't think I'm going to be too successful (laughs) rehabilitating myself to get back on them. Uh, But it's, it's something you can give away as a gift, you know, it's like mm-hmm. giving away a bicycle uh, for Christmas, or Hanukkah. Well, now you can give a skateboard, and the kid can actually enjoy him or herself, and you don't have to have three or four kids to join them. They can actually go to the park and enjoy themselves. Doc,
1: we have a caller. I want to get him in um, to this conversation. Gene is calling from Pikesville. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, we lost that call. I do want to ask you, though. However, in the last few minutes that we have, Doc, this idea that uh, Reckon Parks, um, uh, the community can come together. What do you need people in the city of Baltimore to do to support this effort to bring this skate park, uh, skateboard park to Easterwood?
2: Well, I would say, first, it looks as though, without a doubt, the funding needed to build and create the park is in the bank. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So what we need is probably one in a a PR person uh, idea. We need to get this information out to our community and the surrounding communities that this is going to happen. So we would like to get the equipment needed to put a big screen up, uh, possibly give some hot dogs and hamburgers and make a free event of July 24th to educate the community that this is something exciting coming to your area. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other thing is, you know, we may want to do it again for Kwanzaa this year. Uh, is to again uh, have a uh, GoFundMe and have folks donate money to give kids uh, skateboards. Uh, you know, we don't we don't want the opportunity uh, to pass them by because they can't afford a bike. Their parent can't afford a bike. Uh, we think a skateboard is not a very expensive item, and you can you can buy a couple of them and just give them away to kids uh, to encourage them to get involved. We want the kids want being in school, learning what they need to do. But when they come home, we don't want them in the street. We want them somewhere that has supervision, somewhere where they won't get hurt, Mm -hmm. somewhere where they won't get shot accidentally. And we think one of the vehicles is using different forms of recreation.
1: Now, professional skateboarder um, known around the world, Joey Jett, is from Baltimore, and he has told me he wants to get involved with you and Stephanie um, to uh, help make sure. Right at this skate park. We takes, want like, and need
2: him. We're happy to say <laughs> that probably one of the internationally recognized skateboarders actually funded us himself, the Tony Hawk Foundation, yeah. uh, did send us uh, funds uh, you to know, support our concept. Uh, we, we're looking for a number of folks to come to the table, uh, anything, any ideas, any funding that you have. Uh, this is all about the kids, uh, you know, trying to do something uh, to make their life a little bit better, a little bit easier. And I told you, you know, some of these kids have, have been traumatized. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, 50 homicides in just the Western District. Wow. What do you think our kids are experiencing? You know, they they had some mental issues and we feel one way to address it is to Give them some easy time. Give them mm-hmm. some play time. Uh, and we think uh, skateboarding will be it. Uh, our next move after this one will, be, of course, be the food market. But along with that is, of course, we want a recreation center. We don't think it should be acceptable that we have the oldest recreation center that has nothing in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a daycare center. It's It's used more as a church than it is a recreation center.
1: Doc, let me ask you um, to change the subject real quick as our, our time is running down. Thiru vignaraja joined me the for in the last hour talking about the business leaders in Fells Point, but he was real quick to point out that you and he have been ringing this bell about, look, crime is out of hand, violence is out of hand, and the media did not show up when you all were trying to get them to to recognize that this had become a a real serious problem. Fell's point stands up and says, we're not going to pay taxes, we're not going to pay fees, and all the media in the city of Baltimore, media from around the world, pick up on that story. Give me your thoughts on that. We only have a minute or so left.
2: Well, I I feel communities must do what's in their best interest. So, you know, I do not uh, disagree with what Fellsport is doing. My major problem is the poor elected leadership we've had for 35, 40 years. That these things we've been screaming about, the folks in many of these neighborhoods, Cherry Hill, uh, East Baltimore, West Baltimore, we've been screaming about these very same things, not getting trash picked up, uh, or selling drugs on a corner. You know, we've been complaining about this, but I guess if it if it's, uh, if it's affluent and if it's white, it's going to get the TV Ooh. attention and the mayor's attention. I call it like I see it. You sure uh, but uh, <laughs> it's clear we have tried to get the same kind of support uh, from the mayor and the city council and the state senators and the delegates. And it's clear there's two cities. There are two cities in Baltimore. Uh, one is for the affluent and white and one is for the black and brown. And it's sad that we have we have reached this point. And this issue with Feltz Point uh exacerbates the whole problem everybody should have representation and services that's
1: going to have to do it doc dr marvin doc cheatham civil rights icon matthew henson leader community leader thank you for what you're doing i look forward to i can't wait to come and see your skate park (laughs)
2: look forward to having you there all right have a good night god bless
1: folks Everything you've ever wanted to know about cicadas coming up in the next half hour. I want to hear your stories, and I have Dr. Sammy. He's going to let us know what's going on with these critters that have taken over our community. I'm Anthony McCarthy sitting in for Faraji Muhammad here on For the Culture. We'll be right back.
0: I do this for my culture. Culture, 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 culture. I do this for my
2: culture.
1: I'm Anthony McCarthy. This is For the Culture. I'm sitting in for my good friend Faraji Muhammad, who has gone on vacation, and I get the opportunity to spend time with you right here on Public Radio, WEAA 88.9 FM, absolutely the voice of the community. Now, you have seen them, and you certainly have heard them. The cicadas are out and about. And I'm telling you, I go to some of my friends' houses, and there are thousands of cicadas. And the thought of them getting on me, getting in my hair, landing on my face, it freaks me out. And I know if you're listening, you have a cicada story that you want to share with us tonight. Give us a call at 410-319-8888. One of the most interesting things about cicadas and this new brood of cicadas is all the stuff I see on social media of people cooking and eating them. They say they taste a lot like shrimp and there are recipes all over the internet I want to hear your stories. What do you think about the cicadas? But I have a lot of questions for our guests. Dr. Samuel Ramsey, he is Dr. Sammy. He is an entomologist, and we are going to talk about cicadas. If you have a question, give us a call at 410-319-8888. Dr. Sammy, welcome to For the Culture.
3: I'm so glad to be here.
1: It is great to have you here. I am itching already, thinking about these cicadas. Um, <laughs> give us the give us the facts. Every 17 years, the cicadas come out. And get, why are that? Why is it 17 years? Why do they come out? And what are they
3: doing now? That is a great question. Thank so, you. These cicadas emerge every 17 years because it's difficult for any of the predators out there to sync up with that 17-year cycle. Think about it. If a creature wanted to come out when the cicadas come out, Uh it would have to only eat once every 17 (laughs) years. And so no other creature is going to make that commitment. So these cicadas have the world as their oyster when they emerge.
1: Mm. Well, I'm just very curious about how long. Now, I I, I hate to be a, a, a... But how long will these cicadas be on the – just be on the cruise? How long are they expected to be around?
3: Also, a good question. Uh, We have been blessed with cicadas. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard people describe it as a plague. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, the plague's in the Bible when the locust showed up. Didn't they eat everything? Didn't everything. They? they like they, they created problems um, by their presence, but the cicadas, they're not doing anything. They're not hurting anybody. They can't bite. They can't sting. So I like to say, you know, we're getting a free concert from these cicadas, and the concert will end next month. Oh, wow. Good.
1: Then we have something to look <laughs> forward to. Now, the interesting thing I'm telling you is one of my dearest friends, Karen, one landed on her car. We were on the telephone together. She mm-hmm. went berserk oh, and landed no. on her car. and I'm sorry, Karen. I, I thought she was in an accident or she was hurt. She said, no, a cicada has landed on my vehicle.
3: <laughs> Yo, let me tell you. Last time the cicadas were out, in 2004, when I was still a freshman in high school, I saw my mom jump out of a moving vehicle oh, no. because the cicada flew in the window, and she was not having any part of it. Mm. <laughs> These organisms, we, we really have to put things in perspective. Uh, you can get a lot more hurt trying to run away from them and running into traffic or jumping out of the car because the cicadas showed up than anything they could possibly do to you. They don't bite. They don't sting. At the end of the day, you might feel that unpleasant feeling of some legs moving across your arm, but Ugh. it's not that big a deal.
1: So now, I understand that one of the major reasons that the cicadas have emerged is that they need to breed.
3: Yeah, and so absolutely. that's what
1: that's what the cicadas are doing. They're looking for a
3: mate. Oh, they are in this for the loving. Sir. <laughs> like I mean, it's cicadas—they're all over the place right now. <laughs> Think about it. These organisms have been underground for mm-hmm. 17 years. They've been in isolation. They've never seen another cicada before in their lives. But when they come above ground, they are looking to I mean, it's pretty much cicada spring break. <laughs> That's you think right. about it. When we came out of isolation, what were we trying to do? Everybody was trying to party. Uh, spring yep. break was lit. Uh, people were trying to go to music festivals. Now these cicadas are doing exactly the same thing.
1: Mm. I want to hear your cicada stories. I want you to ask uh, whatever has been on your mind and you've wanted an answer to. While we have Dr. Sammy, I need you to ask these questions. Let's go to the first. G is calling from Annapolis. G, welcome to For the Culture. How you doing? Hey, sir. (laughs) How you doing? Can you hear me? Uh, We can. You're on the air.
3: Okay, yes. Um... Everybody seems to be so afraid of these cicadas. I want to say this one thing. Okay. It's a beautiful thing to have. Because why? Because they, they keep the ecosystem going on. You take one thing mm-hmm. out of the ecosystem, you may kill a whole entire species. And people are talking about, let's spray them. Let's get them out of mm-hmm. here. No, no, no. Let them flourish, prosper, and grow. Because why? They yeah. they keep the They're part of the food chain. You know what I'm saying? It is part of the food chain. Let the birds eat. Let's have at it. Let's enjoy. I enjoy Preach.
2: the music too. Very loud. I enjoy the music.
3: <laughs> yeah. Bless God. I
1: so, Gee, thank, you, thank you, brother. Thank you, have a day you I safe. appreciate it. Yes. Uh, uh, so little he little says they're part of the right ecosystem, there, Dr. Sam. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. I mean these cicadas incredible support for the ecosystem. We mm-hmm. gotta emerge we gotta remember that when they emerge, when they show up, they provide food to all the animals around them, so everything's gonna try to eat them, but there's just so many of them that it doesn't even cause a dent in their population. When they finally die, all of those nutrients from their bodies go back into the soil. And so we have records going back hundreds of years where people were aware every 17 years, the forest just is bursting with life. All Mm. the trees, the flowers, everything just grows so much better every 17 years. Turns out it was because of the cicadas.
1: Now, you mentioned the ecosystem and all Mm -hmm. the birds and other animals Mm -hmm. who eat these uh cicadas and people people, and people are i am seeing all of these <laughs> recipes for cicadas i have to tell you I, I did not eat crickets when it was chocolate dipped crickets i had uh-huh. the folks on my show a long time ago did not uh-huh. want to try them people are tearing up eating yes. these cicadas is it healthy, and doesn't should, it is it healthy is,
3: it should should you
1: people be eating cicadas
3: well, doesn't it tell you something when all of these people, remember back in the day when uh, Popeye's came out with that fried chicken sandwich and people were uh, nice. getting in fights That's at the right. store trying to get it and <laughs> lines all the way out the store. They were signing people up for voter registration cards in the store. And it kind of, it, it made you take a moment and pause and be like, wait a minute. Maybe there's something about this chicken sandwich that I need to try. <laughs> now, now that you're seeing all of these recipes showing up for cicadas. Maybe you should take a moment and think, there might be something good about these things. Because uh, I, I want you to take a second. Um, we are in Maryland, mm-hmm. the crab state. I hear people all the time I'm not going to eat a cicada. That's nasty. Hand me some of them crabs, though, and some shrimp. <laughs> and uh, I, I like a lobster. You know those are sea bugs, right? Ugh. No difference. Those are just the bugs of the sea. And we love crabs, shrimp, lobsters, crawfish. But for some reason, we drew the line at the shrimp of the trees, which are the cicadas.
1: Dr. They Sammy, cicadas. I hear everything that you are saying. I am I not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> Donna's calling from Baltimore. Donna, give give us your thought on these cicadas.
0: Well, I have a different spin. Can you hear me? Uh-huh. You're on there. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I have a love for the environment and especially trees. Uh-huh. And I went into the biological field um, as a biologist from Morgan, graduated from Oregon. Oh, I know this,
1: Donna. Hey, yes. Morgan. Go ahead,
0: Donna. <laughs> and, um, and I went when I was eight, and we, I had a whole block. I had blocks and blocks of oak trees, beautiful trees, silver maples, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the study of, uh, when I was in my biological training, you know, I averaged the age of these trees. And every 17 years, when the um, cicadas came, I think two cycles. um, The the second cycle, when we before we can get to the third cycle, we were cutting the trees down. Mm. So right now, in that same neighborhood, there are no trees, gone. Mm. Wow. When we when the when we were cutting our silver maple, I asked a forester, "Why? What what happened here? I'm in school." And, of course, you could see, um, and he said, look at this disease. And I looked it up. and it was, it, The tree got hit with several diseases because a lot of damage. Decades do a lot of damage to trees. Not just the young. They do it to older trees, especially some of your maples, mm-hmm. your oaks, et cetera. And so when I hear the media and, and, and the talk about all this benefit, I never hear them talk about, I never hear the forestry, you know, the forestry researchers, people in forestry and trees, Talk about the damage hmm. that cicadas, because you know when they once those eggs go in the ground and they start sucking on the sap of the um of the root system for seventeen years, and let's say you got one tree that may have five thousand cicadas, because you have trees mm-hmm. that have a lot <laughs> of mm-hmm. in the ground. That's going to severely that's going to cause some damage to the root systems of that tree over time, and you know as I, you know. When, I, when we were cutting the tree down, I read the, looked at the rain, and when we had the tree, cool to get the trees something removed, you know, you could see the damage in the ground. Mm. So I looked at the forestry research, and I found a lot of articles, not just in the United States but in Canada, about other impacts that cicadas do to the older trees in the forest system. And I think more study needs to be done mm-hmm. to look at the diseases that hit the branch, you know, can get in with the damage that the females do to the branches and in the ground, above ground and in the ground. And I don't hear entomologists talk about that. I hear them talk about the branches.
3: Let's get Dr. Sam- so yeah.
0: so much.
1: Let's get Dr. Sammy to respond to that, Doctor.
3: Uh, it is really exciting to hear a caller uh, with with this background in, in biology, yeah. really pitching mm-hmm. this, this kind of information to us because uh, there are no organisms that are going to show up and cause absolutely no change to the rest of the organisms around them. Like, that is just how ecology works. If a creature shows up, it's got to put some sort of uh, nutrients into its body, and oftentimes that requires it to eat another creature or change the lifestyle of other creatures around it. Mm-hmm. What about cicadas that's so remarkable is that They come out in the trillions. That means that there are trillions of cicadas underground. Sometimes there are thousands, tens of thousands of them attached to the same tree. And oftentimes those trees are totally fine. But anytime you're dealing with numbers as astronomical as the trillions, you're going to get some odd situations occurring. And there have been circumstances recorded where cicadas have been damaging to trees. You mentioned the females laying eggs in the branches, for particularly smaller trees, that can be problematic. Uh, and you also mentioned them feeding on the roots of the trees. But what I find so fascinating about them is they feed on a part of the roots of the trees that is going to be least damaging to the tree. Hmm. So they're feeding on the part of the tree, the xylem, that moves water and small amounts of minerals and nutrients through the tree they can do this because they don't have to, to develop very quickly, so they don't need a lot of nutrition. They're going to be down there for 17 years. <laughs> but this means that they don't cause a huge amount of damage to the trees. And to this point, there is very, 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 very little in the way of disease spread from cicadas directly. Now, you are right to say scars that they cause on the sides of branches can allow for the introduction of bacteria, uh, but even that is infrequent enough in an occurrence that um, healthier trees, larger trees, mature trees seem to be uh, routinely unaffected by this. Uh, Sometimes a few branches can die back, but we refer to that as natural pruning. It's good for some of these uh, branches to die back such that the trees can then reallocate resources and expand further.
1: So, Dr. Sammy, no surprise, we have a lot of callers on the line who have some comments and questions for you. Um, Let's go to Cherie. She's calling from Baltimore. Welcome to For the Culture, Cherie.
0: Hi, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, thank you, Anthony, for taking my call. Uh, Dr. Sammy, my question uh, to you is one, I'm enjoying watching the life cycle <laughs> of the short, <laughs> above ground life cycle of cicadas this season. I'm just having a blast watching oh, it all. Wow. Uh, my question is uh, that I have not found any information on the net. Uh, so, when after the lady, the females lay their eggs, are they visible to the eye so if you know can we see those on the branches of trees? What a
4: good question Ooh, what's a my good, second, great
0: question my second question is i know we know that the male dies after breeding does the female die mm-hmm. as well Do both
3: all right i got die? you on both of those uh, dr sammy so first off thank you thank, thank you 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 can't easily see the eggs of the cicadas. You would actually have to use some fine dissection tools and at the very least a magnifying glass to see the eggs from these cicadas. What you can see is that the branches will have these scars on them. Uh, It looks like Uh, Some of the the lighter-colored sections of the branches are just kind of hanging out like a plume of hair. Those are areas where the female has stuck her egg-laying tube into the tree and laid an egg there. Um, So that's going to be your clearest indication that there's an egg in that tree, but you won't be able to see the egg itself. Mm -hmm. Now, for the cicada adults, the males don't last long after mating. They have fulfilled their biological imperatives, and it seems to be They have done what they came here to do. They did what they came here to do, but... The females have to survive longer because they need to spend time laying eggs. And oftentimes they will lay eggs in multiple trees. This allows them to spread their offspring out in different areas just in case somebody chops down one of those trees and those babies don't make it. They've got some eggs on a different tree, too. And so they'll spend days uh, flying around and laying eggs in different woody plants.
1: Sheree, that was a great question. Lauren's mm-hmm. calling us from Annapolis. Lauren, welcome to For the Culture. Hello. Hello. Hey, you're Can on you the air. Me? Yep, you're on the air.
5: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I love this dynamic, by the way. Oh, thank you. Of <laughs> like the bug enthusiast and like the anti-bug person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great. I definitely know um, and have friends of everywhere in between. I've got um, one friend who regularly eats crickets. Um, so he's really excited to be collecting uh, the cicadas and then cooking them.
1: Now, would you, great. Lauren, would you eat a cicada?
5: No, but you know what? I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> okay. I think it's gross that people eat crabs and shrimp anyway. So That's I'm not right. like okay. I'm going to respect right. them and Consistent. let them do their thing, right? Mm-hmm. But it is really cool to to have that free concert. I love the, the conversation oh, where yeah. people have so much knowledge about, the cicadas and the trees and everything interconnecting in the ecosystem. My question is, um, because of being outside a lot, you know, I only see them, like, when I'm driving on the highway and they're, like, slapping my car, like, it's, like, bullets, <laughs> you know, just, like, like rain of cicada. But then I see all of these holes in the ground, like, on trails, like, if I'm hiking or yeah. something, I'll see, like, millions of these holes. And my, my friend is the one who, my best friend asked this question, and I said, I don't know, that's a really good question. And all these people have great questions, so I'm going to ask her for her. Um, so how do these bugs crawl up and build these holes? Because some of the ground that they come through is really hard. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I guess I could Google it, but while you're on the air and maybe i
1: right. you question. Thank you. <laughs> we have Dr. Sammy.
3: How do they do it, Dr. Sammy? So this, if you look at them when they are nymphs, So what they look like when they're above ground, when they're this black insect with big, bright orange wings, they look nothing like that when they're below ground. They're these brown insects with a very hard exoskeleton, and their front legs are built sort of like uh, a pickaxe. If you've seen those that can be used to really dig into really tough surfaces, Mm -hmm. their front legs are like pickaxes, and they use those to excavate the sediment around them. It makes them really good at digging. They dig slowly, but they don't need to be in a rush. They've been down there for 17 years. They've got plenty of time. Uh, so when they're digging their way uh, out from from uh, all their time underground, they've got a lot of time to do it, and so they can move fairly slowly at the process, but they've got all the equipment they need to make it happen.
1: So one of our staff members here just sent me a great question. Mm-hmm. If the cicadas are laying their eggs in the tree, mm-hmm. how do they get – underground and emerge from underground?
3: I love these questions. Yes, great questions. The the cicadas lay their eggs in the trees, usually tree branches that are about the width of a pencil. And those eggs will remain in the trees for 10 weeks. And at that point, they will hatch. And a cicada about the size of an ant, which you will barely be able to see and you probably won't even notice, will fall out of the tree. It'll be this whitish, creamish color, and will slowly dig its way underground Whoa. several inches, and it will attach itself to the roots of one of those trees. And oftentimes it's the same tree that sustained its parents 17 years before. It will sustain that cicada for 17 years.
2: Wow.
1: Let's go to Thomas. Thomas, welcome to For the Culture.
2: Anthony, how are you, my friend? I'm how well. To great to hear you?
1: your voice, sir.
2: Yes, sir. Well, I got a cicada joke, and I got a serious. The question. Okay, great. Okay, If the same cicadas in Baltimore in Baltimore County? Are that same to cicadas now making all that noise in Fell's Point?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are cicadas down in Fell's Point. Uh, oh, I'm not you. sure. I'm not sure if they're uh, uh, contributing to the chaos and lawlessness uh, <laughs> that the folks down there are talking about,
2: though. <laughs> That question, because I know Doctor Samuel mentioned a while back about being on a 17-year hiatus, and but we're just now emerging somewhat from the from the virus and stuff. Things will be opening up. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering
3: if that's what's causing all that noise until Charles Point right now.
1: Wow!
2: Now,
3: to my serious your serious,
2: serious question.
1: question,
2: okay. <laughs> when a cicada lands on you, is it true Ugh. that they urinate on on, oh. on on the subject that they land on?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to know the answer to this question,
3: but go ahead, Dr. Salmi. I've got to answer the question. That's what I'm here for. Uh, it is unfortunate that sometimes it is the case that a cicada will urinate on you upon landing, uh, but it is not constantly the case. They do not urinate every time they land. Uh, cicadas will actually feed sort of infrequently uh, while they're above ground. Remember, the primary thing that they are out here to do is to mate, and so they will feed and because the the food that they feed on is primarily water, they have to excrete a very large volume of liquid waste. Ugh. And oftentimes, they will do that while still in the tree. And if there are enough cicadas in that tree, we refer to it as cicada rain. You can get a little damp if you uh. are under that tree. I'm I trying not that. to that freak did not help out. My case, but you did it. No, it, it, didn't. Didn't it. No, <laughs> it did. No,
1: I'm
4: sorry.
1: And I'm <laughs> actually sitting here thinking these cicadas are coming out to mate. When they yeah. land on you, is it not? Is there something else other than urine uh, and well, waste that may well, get on you? <laughs> shouldn't you
3: be flattered when those cicadas? Oh. Uh, I mean, they are they are out here to mate, and there's something about you that attracted that cicada. You should be like, wow, I, I'm I, doing my thing. I've got I am doing it so well that even organisms in different species are interested mm. in me. I'm want it.
1: So we're going to lose you here in a few minutes. Let's get some of these <laughs> other callers, Doctor Sammy. Let's go to Alex. Okay. Alex, I appreciate you calling. Welcome to For the Culture. I want to know how cicadas make that sound. She wants oh, to
3: know goodness. how cicadas make it. that sound. What a beautiful I young love voice. It. Yes. Okay. So cicadas make that sound in a way that I think is actually kind of hilarious and a bit adorable because the cicadas have a set of muscles that are attached to a musical instrument on both sides of their bodies. Only the males have this. It's called a timble. And it's like, have you ever taken the, the cap off of a Snapple bottle and you know you can press down on it and uh-huh. it pops back and makes that noise, right? Yep. Cicadas are doing that three to 400 times per second. Every wow. time they tug on that organ, uh, it deforms and it makes a noise. And then when they let go, it snaps back and they make that noise. And the way that they have to do it, it requires them to kind of shake their butts a little bit and so it looks adorable because <laughs> they're just kind of shaking their butt back and forth, making this sound. And because they make this sound the way that they make it, so it's coming from both sides of their body, the sound waves merge together and make the sound a lot louder than it would be otherwise. In addition to that, their abdomen, the back end of their body, is hollow. So it amplifies the sound just like a speaker. It makes the noise louder. And so the cicadas are not just creating a beautiful sound, a song, a symphony, Mm -hmm. but they're creating it in the loudest way possible. They are the Guinness World Record holder for the loudest insect on the planet.
1: Whoa. Mm
4: -hmm. And it's
3: only the males that are making this noise? Only the males. When the females hear that noise, they are able to make a responsive sound, but it's not the loud one that you're hearing. They make a a, a rather quiet noise that sounds sort of like snapping when they flick their wings Uh against the sides of their body. And that is their way of consenting, letting that male know, okay, you have impressed me with your song. You know, you, 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 you might be fit to be the father of my cheer. All uh, right. But if she doesn't consent, then things don't happen. And that's well, what I like about the insect world. There you go. Mm. Let's go to Linnea.
1: Linnea, I appreciate you calling. Welcome to For the Culture. Hi, Anthony. Hey there, beautiful. So How are you?
0: My, here's my question. I recently came across the article on NPR I'm um, talking about masospora, the fungus. So can you speak to um, that fungus and about the um, sexual changes the male goes through and tricking the female and that sort of
3: thing? Wow. Good oh, question. My man. goodness. This has been my favorite answer session. Oh, period. good. Don't let anybody tell you different. And I've done a bunch of these. So I am impressed with y'all. I'm loving this. Masospora is a fascinating fungus. There are some fungi out there that are capable of releasing chemicals that can change the behavior of the creatures that they interact with. But Masospora takes it several steps further. So the spores get into the body of the cicada and they change the behavior of the cicada such that male cicadas will flick their wings in the way that I was just describing to you that the females do. And that will cause other males to think, oh, that's a lady over there who heard my song and wants to get busy. Mm. And so he will attempt to mate with that male cicada, and the male cicada's butt falls off, uh, which is just really messed up. Ooh. And what is left in its place is just a mass of spores. Those spores then infect the male that uh, thought that he was finding a, a receptive female. Uh, He's been infected with that same fungus. He's been and tricked. And continues on with this process. <laughs> So it's literally a fungal STD that changes the behavior of the males, uh, and it is just insane to think about.
1: Mm. Dr. Sammy, I really appreciate you. All things cicadas, and we got the (laughs) right one. Uh, Samuel Ramsey is an entomologist, and he shared with us everything we had to need to know about cicadas. I appreciate your time, Dr. Sammy. Thanks so much for inviting me. This was really fun. Thank you. Appreciate you. Folks, that is our show for the evening. For the cultures, produced by Demi Goff and engineered by Andre Melton. I'm Anthony McCarthy sitting in for Viraji Muhammad. Join me tomorrow, an exclusive interview with former Baltimore City Police Commissioner Dara D'Souza. It is going to be a great conversation, and I look forward to talking to you. Have a great night.